Hello, and welcome to this podcast, which is brought to you by CSO in partnership with Cisco. I'm Dan Swinho, UK editor at CSO Online. And today we're looking at how the COVID-19 pandemic has brought around massive changes in how businesses operate. Companies have had to secure remote working on a massive scale almost overnight. And while most organizations are able to do so with minimal disruption, it's only through the hard work of the IT and security teams who rush to implement the necessary changes and controls. As the world begins to reopen, Businesses are unlikely to return to how they were before. More staff are going to work from home more often, and organizations will need to start looking at what changes made during the pandemic should become permanent, which need to be adapted, and which need to be scrapped altogether. Joining me today is Rich Gore, Cisco IT Senior Manager, to talk about Cisco's internal journey through the pandemic. Thank you for joining me, Richard. My pleasure. Great. Amongst other things today, we'll be chatting about Cisco's own journey through the pandemic and how it adapted to the new normal, what that new normal looks like in a world where more staff work from home more often, and how to secure all of these new aspects of this, of the post-pandemic environment. Mm -hmm. So, Richard, start us off. Can you maybe explain your role at Cisco and talk us through the journey Cisco had at the start of the pandemic and, you know, through to where we are today? Certainly. Happy to. Um, so I'm a Cisco IT senior manager. I work in the infrastructure side of things. I've been in Cisco IT for the last 21 years, been involved in a very large number of projects, and I spend a lot of my time talking with customers about what Cisco IT has done, sharing Cisco IT experience, because most customers don't want to go first, and Cisco IT often does. So uh, so uh, we like to share where the where the gotchas are, where the problems are, and where the successes are, and what some of the benefits we've seen. So that's uh, that's what I do. It's kind of a fun job. I enjoy it. <laughs> Great. And so, you know, how has Cisco approached dealing with the pandemic? I imagine you've got a lot of interesting war stories. Oh, my gosh, yes. So, so we had, of course, a, a business continuity plan. Everybody does. Uh, and our plan was designed for uh, an outage uh, at the data center or an outage at a business location. Uh, and, and we had you know, really good, well-defined responses to that. What we weren't exactly prepared for was a global pandemic where everybody had to work from home. Uh, on the other hand, we have a culture where pretty much everybody can work from home. And for the last 15 years, uh, the average Cisco employee has been working about two days a week from home. So we had the basics in place, but there were a lot of things we just didn't take into account for a, a global pandemic. Great. I, mean, I, I understand you have four four pillars of remote working as kind of the ethos within Cisco. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, actually, um, uh, there's there's four four pillars to our pandemic plan and then four pillars to our teleworking. So uh, I'll start with the pandemic plan. Mm -hmm. And there's some overlap. The pandemic plan basically says you have to have basic connectivity set up. You have to have some way that no matter where you are, um, whether you're at home, as most of us are now, or or even moving around remotely, um, you have to have basic connectivity. So we have three different, actually four different services that we use to connect from wherever we happen to be in the world, especially at home these days, uh, back into Cisco. The other is, hey, connectivity is fine, but you need collaboration. You need to be able to see each other. You need to be able to share information, to share email, documents, and to have meetings, face-to-face meetings, no matter where you happen to be. So those are the, the two basic fundamental parts of our, of our pandemic plan. 
And they're also the two fundamental, uh, out of the four, the two fundamental things we have to have for teleworking to work. Now, there's a couple other things that customers talk about. I talk to customers a lot about this, and customers tell me that there's four things that you really need, not just a scalable, secure connection from your home, not just collaboration tools that enable you to meet with everybody, but also you have to have secure, managed mobile devices at your home. There's a lot of customers, a lot of banking financial customers who have good VPN set up for most of their execs. They have a few execs that have some sort of mobile device. Most of their employees didn't have anything like that. They didn't have laptops. They didn't have iPads. They didn't have phones that they could use. So you need a mobile device. And because this is an extension of your secure enterprise, that mobile device has to be secured, has to be monitored, has to be managed. And that's really tricky to do. And then last, one of the things you have to have to be able to have a workforce working away from the office is your manager has to understand what you're doing. I've met a lot of managers who said, if I can't see my employee, I can't trust them to work. I don't know what they're working on. I don't know if they're working. And that's, you know, that's enough to make a manager nervous. So you have to have some kind of tools in place where managers and employees can get together, can agree on goals, can set milestones, and then meet on a regular basis to look at the milestones, to look at the issues, to be able to help out the employee when they get into trouble and they need some support, to be able to recognize when they're failing and do something about that, or to recognize when they're really succeeding and provide the kind of recognition and reward that, that a good employees should have from their, from their management. So it's those four things, devices, connectivity, collaboration, and some way of managing uh, performance. Mm, the, you brought up some really good points there. Um, uh, it sounds like Cisco was relatively well prepared. Um, you know, I guess uh, the culture and the technology you provide kind of means you have you have to have a bit more of a remote remote working culture than many organizations. Yeah. But um, I don't think any company was one hundred percent prepared for a global pandemic. And neither um, so, were we. So yeah, can you maybe go into some of the areas where you were caught unawares? I understand, you know, you had um, you've split tunneling, you've had interesting foibles around new hires, for example. Can you maybe go into some of the areas where you did get caught short and oh, sure. what you've learned from those? I mean, the, the basic, the obvious stuff, when you go from um, working from home a little bit, well, two days a week on average, to working from home every single day, then your VPN load gets a lot higher. So we had 13 VPN hubs. We had to expand, you know, just horizontally expand uh, two of them. We had to add two more hub sites to handle some extra load from two sites that were getting completely overwhelmed. Um, and then split tunneling. We had been avoiding, because of security, we'd been avoiding split tunneling from home offices for a long time. Because you don't want to have a device that connects into the secure intranet of your company on one hand, and at the same time is connected to the source of all malware, which is the internet. So um, we ended up with a, a compromise split tunneling that enabled us to offload about 40% of all of our, our cloud tra or, or traffic off into the cloud directly. And, um, and that's basically by, sorry, by using FQDN, fully qualified domain names, to connect just to those services that we considered fully secure, not a source of malware. Things like Office 365, uh, like Box, um, like uh, 
Apple and and other uploads um, uh, like our Cisco TV because we do a lot of um, uh, streaming video. Uh, so so services like that. There were there were a lot of other things. I mean, we saw the the amount of uh, of WebEx services go up significantly. We were we were using WebEx a lot, but my God, um, you know, our VPN usage went up by 25, 30 percent. Our our WebEx usage went up by 50 to 100 percent. And uh, we ended up so the amount of WebEx calls grew, sorry, about 35 percent. Uh, WebEx teams, we use that very heavily. The amount of file sharing went up 45 percent. The amount of instant messaging we used went up 80 percent, came close to doubling. Um, just because we were all working from home and we needed to keep in touch with each other. So we ended up putting a bunch of new servers into the uh, WebEx data centers and then upgrading the internet capacity of uh, connections into those WebEx data centers. Amazing. And, yeah. um, uh, and on the subject of hiring, I know you've, you've mm. had some interesting challenges around say, remote provisioning for new employees and such. Oh yeah, yeah. There was there were a lot of things that we assumed that we could use offices for because we weren't prepared to shut down every single office. Uh, one of them was call centers. We had uh, uh, about seventy five percent of our call center agents who worked from an office. About twenty five percent worked from home. But in the space of two weeks, we had to go from twenty five percent working from home to a hundred percent working from home, and that was a scramble. That was huge. Luckily, we had the architecture. We just had to scale it out tremendously to be able to support that. And the other was onboarding. You mentioned onboarding, but uh, yeah, onboarding new employees. Uh, our process is to bring in a new employee, have them meet the team inside the office, hand them a brand new, completely untouched laptop, load the basics on with them. And then while they're sitting in a pretty secure environment, um, we'll set up all the encryption, set up all the certificates, and and do it in a place that we're pretty sure is not connected to the internet and not connected to anything that has malware in it. And then suddenly we had to do all that from home. So we had to ship this brand new, completely unprotected laptop to a person's home and have them connect over the internet to a secure server have them set up all their authentication um, and uh, and authorizations, authorization policies set up, set up the certificates, set up the encryption using a, a single uh, scripted download, which took us a lot of last minute work to put together. And then once they were connected, download the uh, the full Cisco um, set of, of images and ap applications to their laptop. It works, still makes us nervous, uh, because mm -hmm. there's that you know that five minute connection time where things there's there's vulnerability, and that uh, that scares us some. Mm. I think that that's a really interesting example of the kind of the need for businesses to operate and the kind of accept, like increased risk appetite some businesses have had to accept, just as the cost of doing business these days. Yeah, and and you mentioned data centers and kind of assumptions about how you do things that don't quite. Um, uh, include pandemics on such a large scale. Um, what about data, like on the subject of data centers, you mm -hmm. know, how has the the, pan, the planning and pandemic stuff affected how you do data centers? You said you've oh. you've installed more servers, but that's very difficult in a very confined yeah. environment where, you know, you have to kind of, do you disinfect all your servers? How do you, and in the event of a ransomware or a disaster, have you, did you have planning to, for this sort of scenario or did you have to create plans specifically if you did have a 
an IT disaster during a pandemic? You know, how did that look from a kind of pandemic well, data center uh, so, point? So, so yeah, good point. Um, so the good news is that this is part of not just our pandemic plan. This is part of our our day to day business, and all of our our critical apps are backed up in an active active scenario between two data centers. There's a there's a secondary backup data center. We do um, mostly automated monitoring, tracking, updates, almost all changes that don't require physically racking, stacking equipment is done remotely. So we have pretty much dark lights out data centers. Uh, on the other hand, there's there's cabling that needs to be done. There's, um, there's IO ports that need to be, or cards that need to be pulled and replaced. And there's sometimes new servers that need to be installed because there's new business requirements and you can't stop the business because you can't touch the data center. You have to send people in. So we had processes in place that most of the time we could follow with, that involved uh, a single person going in and racking and stacking and cabling, doing all the physical work, and then wiping stuff down, wiping services surfaces down before they, uh, before they went out. And there were a few times where we needed two or three people in at the same time, and we just, you know, wearing masks, distance as much as possible, and then wiping down as much as possible. But we mm. tried to keep that to a minimum. I mean, data centers are quite large, so I imagine they can be quite lonely places if you if you go down certain aisles. But uh, that's great. Um, we've spoken a lot so far on kind of Cisco's internal stuff, but externally, you know, what have you been seeing? You know, have you seen more threats? Um, how the what have the threat actors been doing? against you what are you seeing i know you you have cisco has talos so you probably get a lot of interesting threat intel oh you know, my how, gosh how's, how's that affected your your risk appetite around things as well you know have you just had to accept more risk on certain users and certain devices and just accept it or have you adapted that as well so risk has always been part of of what cisco does uh we we try to balance risk versus productivity i mean cisco in a single day has to look at 1.2 trillion different security incident events. We look at 28 billion different net flows every single day. We look at 47 terabytes of internet traffic. We look at seven and a half billion DNS requests. Uh, the, the, the number of things that we have to look at and have to respond to is pretty significant. And the good news is we've automated almost all of that. I mean, we, we automatically block bad DNS requests. We automatically block bad web transactions, bad, bad email transactions. We look at about, on average, 17,000 different new files that, that we've never seen before every single day in a sandbox before anybody's allowed to open them. And all told, we, we have to actually manually look at about 22 things every day. And, uh, and in, in general, only two of them a week uh, turn out to be incidents that need to be responded to. So there's there's a lot of uh, you know negative um, uh, reports that we get, but we uh, but we really only have to respond to about two of them, and all of that response can be done completely remotely. So we were able to support all that. Um, what we've seen that's internally, and what we've seen on the outside world is that the the malware actors have have cottoned on to the fact that everybody's working from home, and what they've done is they've started hacking away at people when they're on their home networks, not when they're connected to the, the enterprise network. I mean, if you're on a VPN, we're, we're usually all on VPNs if we're connecting to network, uh, to Cisco, but they're hacking into people when they're on their home network, 
we, we do track where malware comes from on our network. And we noticed that uh, there was a huge uptick. In fact, uh, more than 50% of all malware is now coming from our home networks. So they're, they're entering into our laptops when they're not connected to Cisco. And they're, um, they're coming into Cisco once we, we connect to Cisco and then we uh, pass on the infections that we picked up while we are in, uh, uh, in our more vulnerable mode. And that's not just Cisco, that's, that's worldwide. Uh, they're going after folks at home and they're, they're very successful. So it's something to watch out for. Mm -hmm. And I understand, you know, you, you have a lot of kind of automated processes for around when those devices connect, right? You have a lot of uh, MDM, you have your, your firewalls on the corporate perimeter, and you do a lot of kind of device screening to authorize them. Oh, yes. They, they don't touch the network, things like that. Oh, we have a we have a zero trust uh, policy that that goes from um, don't trust the user until they authenticate until they and, and only trust them to do authorized policies uh, and and revoke that trust on a on a timely basis. So so you have to get, regain that trust on a regular basis. We don't trust the device. We don't trust the access. We don't trust the network. We don't trust the services. And we uh, certainly um, protect and encrypt every single piece of data, whether it's uh, in uh, uh, at rest inside the data center or in passing through the network. Now, each device, as soon as I plug in my device and connect to Cisco, um, the MDM and, and actually a couple of other uh, things look at the device and they check for 10 different things. We look to see if the device has been attributed to the user. If I'm coming in with my um, my Active Directory password and it's the right laptop that I'm coming in on, we look to see if the contents are fully encrypted, if they're protected by a complex password, if they're protected by a 10-minute auto lock in case I walk away from the keyboard. Every single device, whether it's a laptop or uh, or phone or or pad, has to be able to be remotely wiped if I call it in as being lost or stolen, or if I'm no longer part of the company. It has to have up-to-date anti-malware. We're using AMP for endpoints for all of our um, our laptops. We check. We do an inventory of all OSs, and so my, my operating system has to be up to date. It has to be fully patched. All of my applications have to be fully patched. We do a hardware and software inventory once a week uh, when we connect to be able to tell whether we've gained any new pieces of software and if there's any vulnerabilities in any of those soft pieces of software, we either fix the vulnerability remotely or we alert you that we're not gonna let you on the network because you have a vulnerable piece of software. When we're off the network, we're still protected by umbrella, which keeps us from pretty much any malware related sites. And we also check every single phone to see if it's been jailbroken or rooted. And all of those things are checked before you're allowed on the network. Pretty much instantly, you don't really notice it. Great, I think you know, there's some really good examples there of, of you know, what good zero trust looks like and, and how it's, it's, it's a big mix of different things. Yeah, uh, there's too many ways pe bad people can get in. So yeah, you have to protect pretty much everything and trust nothing, not for a very long length of time. Mm hmm. And, you know, it sounds like Cisco was quite well prepared uh, and, you know, adapted on the fly as needed. But, you know, going forward in this kind of hybrid return, return to work phase and mm -hmm. going forward to hopefully some sort of back to the way things were in, in maybe some aspects. Right. What, what changes are Cisco going to keep, um, which maybe do you need to yeah. tighten up and adapt a bit? 
you know, I, you said the provisioning of new laptops and new employees was quite scary. I imagine that's probably going to go out the window once you can. Um, you know, like what, what's what's going to be different permanently going forward? Well, permanently, it's going to be a gradual change. I mean, we're we're gradually going to be allowing people back into into work when the the laws, the the regulator regulators, the uh, the medical advice and the the local um, resources there are all in place. So we're gradually in, in, in China, Taiwan, Japan, we've already started gradually letting people back in. Not everybody, not even 50%, but uh, closer to uh, 20% of people. And we're starting to roll that out across Europe as well. So we'll be able to do a few more things on site, but most people are still gonna be working from home. We're, we're, our, our primary concern is the health and well-being of our employees. So we're going to be very cautious and very, very careful and, and uh, very controlled about this, uh, this coming back to work. But yes, I mean, everything that made us nervous, uh, including, uh, including our, uh, our onboarding process, we're going to be, we already are working on a, a more secure process for, for onboarding. There are some other things that, uh, that made us nervous in the process. And, uh, and we're you know, looking at, uh, at ways of, making sure that everything is fully scalable and everything is fully secure great and and one thing i you know i've been speaking to a lot of CISOs about and i'm sure you have too is the kind of cultural impact of this you know you have a lot of workers who weren't used to working remotely suddenly kind of captive in their own homes you know working patterns are different family life is often around you as you're trying to work Mm-hmm. CISOs themselves have probably been under a lot of pressure. You know, how has that how has that kind of cultural paradigm changed within Cisco? You know, you've said you've already, you had some work from home kind of culture already in, embedded in. But you know, how has that kind of changed? Did did management have to adapt, especially around kind of security behaviors, making sure people follow the rules in environments where you know they're a bit more relaxed and less um, on guard? Well. So actually, security issues were not really the big problem. Um, uh, we, we've always had significant security uh, processes in place that were relatively well automated and thoroughly monitored. Um, what was what was harder? Actually, there were two groups of people who really found this working from home process difficult. The first were app engineers. Engineers have labs, they have equipment, they need to get back to their labs right away. Um, a lot of them were able to pull some equipment home and set them up in their home network because we do enable home networks in uh, inside Cisco, secure home networks, but there's still a lot of equipment uh, that they have that they can't access. There's a lot of equipment you can access remotely, but you can't do a lot of recabling or adding equipment. So those people are really hurt. Then there's the rest of us. Sorry, I'm not one of the engineers, luckily, because they're, they're really hurting. But, um, but the rest of us, are used to getting our communication and our and our um, encounters with people from work, and and so when we can't do that, it turns out we have to do that through our remote tools. So something that upper management has been fully aware of and is trying to do is is trying to communicate frequently. So we during the the concern because of the concern and issues we have uh, with COVID, we've had weekly COVID related all hands where our CEO and some senior VPs will come on with us uh, for, for uh, broadcasts, Cisco TV broadcasts 
to talk to our employees. They'll bring in guest speakers, um, doctors, um, epidemiologists, psychologists, and um, and they they support the variety of different things that people are doing just to stay closer to each other. So a lot of teams have just sort of spontaneously come up with having team parties, having after work parties, you know, drinks with friends over video, having birthdays over video, having uh, pub quizzes, having, uh, gosh, there's, there's cooking classes and various, you know, different milestone celebrations and, and parties. And uh, like yesterday we had a magic show. There was a magician who was who was brought into one of our WebEx meetings, and they they did this these amazing tricks. I was just overwhelmed by how uh, how how wonderful that was. And so, we're trying to do as many different things as we possibly do to stay connected, to stay together, and and it really helps. It's not as good as being there face to face, but it is just tremendous in terms of bringing people together. We're also supporting each other with resources, like parents who have to educate. Oh, who parents who are educating their children from home uh, were, were providing lots of educational tools, lots of sort of fun projects that they can do so that it's uh, it's more entertaining and more useful for for their the whole families to uh, to get together and to uh, and to make the best of their time together at home. Well, that, a magician sounds lovely. Um, it was great. <laughs> you know, like. I think, you know, a lot of those aren't security examples, but I think it's always important to bring those up because, you know, CISOs and CIOs are people too. They lead people. It is a management and leadership role, and they kind of have to take stuff like that into account. It's not just technical stuff. It's, you know, yeah. you have to manage people and make sure they are happy and, and able to work in difficult times. Yeah, that's that's the whole foundation of security. The The purpose of security is to enable employees to work productively. That's it. And security adds the extra layer productively and safely. Mm. Absolutely. And and so you've given me lots of really interesting examples here. Um, and, you know, your role is basically to tell these stories. So, mm -hmm. you know, how has Cisco's own experience informed what you're doing with customers, what you're telling customers? I understand, you know, you, before the pandemic, you had a lot of customer experience centers, but you've had to kind of evolve how they tell stories and stuff. You know, have, can you mm -hmm. just go through that for us? Sure. Yeah, it used to be that customers would travel all the way into a Cisco office and talk to Cisco experts from, from everywhere around the world, and we would meet face-to-face. -face. Uh, and there were some meetings that we used to have with customers, in fact, they still are, where um, they would come into a Cisco office locally, like go into the Frankfurt office, go into the Munich office, go into the Milan office, and, and talk to experts around the world face-to-face. And instead, now we do it from their homes, just like we do it, just like we're doing it today. We set up WebEx meetings and we'll, we'll talk to customers and share our experiences. And there's a lot of things that customers want to know. Like zero trust security is a huge issue for customers. And, uh, and teleworking, even bigger, of course, because there are some customers who have no teleworking capacity at all. And they're trying really hard to set up something for at least for their executives and uh, and possibly even scaling that out for their their some of their employees and there's customers who want to know about our return to office planning our pandemic planning because all of that is is important uh, especially at these times and there's lots of other things they want to know how to automate their um, their networks how to automate their data centers 
how to basically how to do more remote monitoring and management so that uh, when the next pandemic hits, they'll be able to do pretty much everything remotely. And and that's that's possible. That's not a dream. That's actually something that you can do in our in your networks. And it's something that Cisco IT is doing. We are not fully finished with all of that. Uh, we're pretty much finished in our data centers, but we're not done with that in our WAN and, and uh, local branch offices. But we have enough of them that are fully automated that, that tell us <clears throat> what the benefits are of being able to, gosh, going back to the office, uh, we're able to remotely uh, look at the status of every single device that's connected into a switch and every single device that's connected into wireless and see what their status is so that we can do any kind of break fix or troubleshooting before people go back to the office. And that's important because you want everything to work when they go back there. So there's there's just an enormous amount you can do from an automated um, process. And and that's really what we're, uh, what Cisco IT has been doing internally for a long time. So yeah, we, we share all kinds of stories about all of this. And we try to make sure that everything is fully secured and as automated as possible. We've been leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning to help us do this. We started doing it in security. I mean, we when we purchased, actually, we, we started using Landcope long before we purchased uh, Landcope and, and in, incorporated StealthWatch into our security portfolio. But that's uh, that's an amazing tool for being able to use artificial intelligence to spot day zero malware. Malware that nobody knows anything about, there's no signatures about, but, you can tell from the behavior that something's different and artificial intelligence is able to spot the differences and machine learning is able to spot the malware. Not perfectly. There are a lot of things we need to look at that turn out not to be a full, full on invasion, but enough so that we can spot the day zero attacks within a couple of hours. And that's, that's impressive. Hmm. You know, automation seems to be really the, uh, the key message from Cisco here. And I'm sure mm -hmm. our customers are very jealous of it. Huh? lights out data centers. Uh, and finally, Rich, um, what's the, any kind of key takeaways or burning advice you think listeners should heed? You know, any any like fruits or nuggets of information that you think everyone should hear? Well, certainly I think first we should make sure that we don't forget the lessons that we're learning today. Uh, we, we've learned that basic connectivity is critical to be able to enable people to work from home and more people are going to be working from home after the after the covid uh, than they were they were before that's just that's just going to be the new normal and you have to be able to secure that secure that end to end and that means secure the users and devices and the network as well as securing the data center and the applications um, you need to be able to scale whatever your architectures are you need to be able to make sure that they can grow and shrink easily and quickly and preferably automatically. Uh, the second is you need to be able to make sure that your people have the tools to collaborate online because as more people are working from home, they're gonna need those tools to be able to see each other, to be able to share information and, um, and stay in touch with each other on a regular basis. And then you have to look at all the different corner cases that you had that made you scramble during COVID. I mean, all the different issues that we had with supply chains, with our strategic leadership issues, with uh, with our engineering teams, with sales, with our onboarding process and our call centers, and all the different um, videos that we have, our all-hands videos, our company meetings. Make sure all of those cases have a plan in place. 
that you can immediately pull the trigger on and uh, and make sense out of. So it's it's just don't forget what all this taught you. Stay secure. I mean, security is critical here. You need to be able to secure the extension of your enterprise into people's homes, and you need to be able to enable that for pretty much for the the, the long term, because that will be part of the new normal. Absolutely. I think especially the planning point, you know, learn the lessons, listen to your staff and your all the foibles and unique examples of, of how and how people are working from home. There'll be all kinds of interesting examples about workspaces and stuff that I think CISOs can learn a lot from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. But thank you. That's all we have time for today. Rich, thank you very much for joining us. And thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in on this CSO and Cisco podcast. For more information around today's topics, you can head to csoonline.com or cisco.co.uk slash secwork. That's S-E-C-W-O-R-K. For CSO, I'm Dan Swinho. Thank you and goodbye.